The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning, Parkwood Faith family. Let's continue to worship through the study of God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bible. I ask you to open it to that place or turn it on and scroll up to it, ever how you have to get to it. If you don't have a copy of the Bible this morning, I think there's some in the racks in front of you and would invite you to take one of those, go all the way to the back of your Bible and then come back a couple of books and find 2 Peter. And we're in chapter 3. I want to begin reading with verse 1. I read this last week, but we didn't finish uh, this section. And so I want to read it, uh, verses 1 through 10. And then we'll walk through it together and see what God has to say to us. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Notice Peter's use of the word beloved, speaking pastorally, shepherding people. He earnestly loves them and desires them to get this. And through his writing, this is what God is saying to us. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter responds to that argument and says they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, by means of water through the word of God, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I think there are a number of things that can cause us to begin to second guess the fact that Jesus promised that he will come back. One of those is something that has happened many times in the past, happened just recently, and that is when some professing Christian decides he's smarter than the Bible and and decides to predict when the Lord is coming back. David Mead professed Christian numerologist said recently that the world was going to come to an end on September 23rd. You probably read the articles. September 23rd came and went and the end of the world didn't happen or at least you and I missed it somehow. Mead backed up and he presented plan B but the world scoffed. Every time that happens, somebody looks and says, see, you guys don't know what you're talking about. 
New Christians say he's coming back. Look at all the predictions that have been made and he hasn't come back. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I think another thing that can cause us to stutter step when it comes to the second coming is suffering. The stuff that happens to us in, in this life. I was sitting in a restaurant in the Boston airport yesterday morning waiting for my flight to come home. Another brother was with me. And a lady came and sat down on the table next to us. After a little bit, they brought her food. And I noticed that she bowed and she prayed before she ate. And then when she finished praying, she did the sign of the cross, as Catholics do. And after a little bit, I wanted to try to use that as an occasion to have a gospel conversation. So I asked her, I said, uh, ma'am, I noticed that before you prayed, uh, before you ate, you prayed. Tell me about your faith. Without blinking an eye, without hesitating a moment, she looked back at me and said, I'm doubting. She said, I lost my mother this year. My nephew died. She listed two or three other things that had happened in a brief period of time. And she said, I just, I'm confused. And I was reminded about how difficulties and suffering sometimes can cause us to wonder, is it real? So Jesus coming back. Top of that, we hear the, the critics and the skeptics tear down the gospel and dismiss God and anything related to God. And I, I think God knew and knows <laughs> that there will be times when we find ourselves at places where we're wondering, I wonder if they're right. Is it real? And so that's why we have 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes. He writes to us. He writes to his beloved people of faith who, who know Christ, who can be caught up in all of the cynicism and the skepticism and the doubting and the scoffing and, and be persuaded sometimes and maybe, maybe stutter a little bit in our faith. And so he writes and he puts three certainties on the table that he wants us to remember. I, I think he's, he's talking about three truths that he was confident Christians know. And I'm confident that you know. And he says, I, I want to remind you about these things. Certainty number one, we looked at it last week, and that is when it comes to the reality that Jesus will come again, God's word says it. In other words, church, don't forget your Bible. This is what Peter says in verse two. I'm, I'm reminding you, he said, I want you to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. If you were here last week, you know, we looked at each of those categories, the Old Testament prophets, Jesus and the apostles, and we saw consistency in all of them, just with some representative verses that they spoke and they speak of a day when Christ will come back, the culmination of the day of the Lord. This is what Peter's doing, knowing that sometimes we get frustrated and we, we may doubt a little bit and wonder a little bit. And he comes and he says at this point, don't forget your Bible. Don't forget the testimony of your Bible. Don't forget the testimony of those Old Testament prophets. Don't forget, Jesus talked about it. Don't forget, we as the apostles, Peter said, reflected on it and, 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 and reaffirmed that reality. Don't forget what your Bible says. Beloved, listen to me. What we're talking about here is faith. You understand that, that faith in the Bible is, is different from the way the world thinks about faith. Contrary to popular opinion, faith is not a leap in the dark. It is a leap in the light. Faith is, is not something that you just, okay, you just believe something hard enough so it's going to happen. You know, you may be going through a difficult time. Somebody says, oh, just have faith. It's like as if we could muster up a, 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 a enough within ourselves to believe something strong enough that, that, it, that it has to happen. And that leads to all kinds of messed up ideas about faith. Somebody who doesn't have any money in their bank account says, well, I'm just going to write this check anyway, and I'm just going to have faith that God's going to provide the money. Listen, that's not faith, that's fraud. 
Or we go out on the interstate out here and we say, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to walk across and I'm just going to have faith that God's going to protect me. That's not faith. That's foolishness. Faith always has to have an object. This is why it's a leap in the light. You don't just have faith. You have faith in something. And you know what Peter's saying right here? He's saying, trust what your Bible says. Even if you don't feel it. Even if you don't see it. Even if the circumstances seem to be pointing in the opposite direction. Have faith, Peter says, by remembering what your Bible says. This is what faith is. It's not a leap in the dark. Faith is God says something, he speaks, and we respond. God speaks and we say yes, even when we don't feel it. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight tells me, sight, sight tells me that, that, that you know, th- this is not going to happen. It's been 2,000 years. Since, since he said he was coming and, you know, he hasn't done it yet. My sight tells me this is not going to happen. Peter comes in and he says, remember what your Bible says. Remember what God says. That's what faith is. God speaks. And I say, you know what? I don't feel it. I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't see it. But, you know, you're God and I'm not. I'm going with you. That's what faith is. And, and, and that relates, by the way, to every issue, every temptation we face. Our bodies are telling us to do something else or driving us to, to have sex outside of marriage or to, 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 to be materialistic, to, uh, to, to exercise greediness, to, 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 to eat more than we should. This is what we feel. This is what our bodies are telling us to do. And yet God's word speaks to those situations. He says, do this or don't do this. And we look at that and we say, okay, that's what God says. This is what I feel. These are my circle. But you know what? He's God and I'm not. I'm going with him. And so Peter comes to this place right here and he says, don't forget your Bible. Don't forget what God says. And God says Jesus is coming back. He didn't say when. He didn't say we would be able to predict it or put it on a calendar, but he said that he would be back. Don't forget your Bible. God's word says it. But then Peter comes back on the other side and he says, let me tell you another reality. God's enemies are going to scoff at it. And this is what was happening in this, this, this situation here. It's certainly happening in our day. And this is what he's talking about beginning in verse 3. Know this, first of all, Peter says, scoffers are going to come. They're going to come in these last days with scoffing. Don't forget, the last days have been the period ever since Jesus returned to heaven between that time and the time he comes back. All of those are the last days. Be careful, be very careful about, about saying, oh, we're living in the last day. Well, yes, we're living on the last day. Make sure you know what you're talking about. We've been living in the last days ever since Jesus left this earth and went back to heaven. That's what he's talking about here. This is what characterizes the life that, that, that we live in. These scoffers are going to come in the last days and they're going to be driven, he says at the end of verse 3, by their own sinful desires. In other words, they're coming, they're laughing at the idea that Jesus will come back because they know if he comes back, he's bringing judgment and if he brings judgment, they will be judged. And because they're following their sinful desires and they want to do what they want to do and not what God wants to do, the only way to do that is to deny that there's a judgment and to deny that there's a judgment means to deny that Jesus is coming back. That's what's happening. And Peter says, it'll be characteristic of the last days. It was in his days, just a few decades after Jesus had made his comment, uh, his, his promises that he'll be back, It is true in our day, 2,000 years plus after Jesus made this. People are still laughing at the idea that Jesus will come back. So here he tells us about one of their arguments. They say, where's the promise of his coming? Verse 4, you you, you Christians say that Jesus is coming back. Where is it? I mean, when these words were written, as I said, just a couple of decades, I mean, imagine how that's escalated and multiplied in our day. 2,000 years, where is it, Christian? You people are foolish. 
And the rationale that is given is ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We're living in an orderly universe, they said. Sun comes up every day and it goes down every night. We have fall and after fall we have winter and after winter we have spring and after spring we have summer and then guess what? Fall comes again and it all starts over and this just keeps going on and on and on. There is nothing supernatural that is going to interrupt that. This is the universe that we live in. This is their argument. Then Peter comes back with a third certainty in verse 5. And, and, and basically he says, you know, it's, it's, it's true that we live in an orderly universe. There are laws that have been put in place that we live according to. And yes, there are seasons and yes, there are cycles and yes, there are regularities. But, he says, beginning in verse 5, you forget that God's nature... God's nature supports the idea that Jesus is coming back. And beginning with verse 5, Peter identifies four attributes of God. Four attributes of God that, that say, this is not only a good possibility, it's a reality. And so we started talking about them last week. We only got to one of them, and that is that God is sovereign in verse 5, he says, they deliberately overlook this fact. Interesting is an indication that, that somebody knows something, they see something on the pages of Scripture, but they dismiss it intentionally. Why? Because remember up there in verse 3, they're following their own sinful desires. Be careful about throwing stones at these scoffers. I said this to you before. We do the same thing, don't we? When, when we want to go with our flesh and what we feel and what we want, we might look at the truth of God's word, but we, we dismiss it. And by the way, the easiest way to do that is just stop reading your Bible. Then you don't have to deal with it, right? You just dismiss it. This is what the scoffers are doing. They deliberately overlook this fact. What fact? Well, that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Peter appeals back to Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 when God interrupted what was in place. What was in place was chaos. God interrupted it with order. And he created the universe we know it. Peter says that's example number one. You guys that are saying nothing supernatural like the second coming will ever happen because we live in this orderly universe. You forget you forget that history bears out, the Bible bears out that God has actually interrupted this thing before. That's example number one, creation. Example number two, the flood in Noah's day. Verse six, and that by means of these, by means of what? By means of water through the word of God, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And perished, Peter says, example number two, God interrupted order with chaos at the flood and he flooded the entire earth. You see how he's responding to these scoffers. Some scoffers say, oh, we live in this orderly universe. There couldn't be something cataclysmic that happens where that's interrupted because look everything's been the same since the beginning of creation Peter says no it hasn't no it hasn't yes we live in an orderly universe but remember God is sovereign by his word by his word by his word three times in these two verses right here he says God has interrupted and consequently because he has done it in the past he will do it again and that's what verse 7 says but by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, not water this time. Why? Because God said he would never destroy the earth by water again. The next time he does it, it's going to be by fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God is sovereign, Peter says. He made the universe. He can do anything he wants with it. He created the order and the laws of the universe that we live in and the seasons and the cycles and he has interrupted those in the past. 
And you can be sure, Peter says, he will interrupt it again in the future. When Jesus comes back, God is sovereign. Well, that's all review, so we get to the sermon for this morning. Three more attributes of God. Peter says, God's going to act according to who he is. Scoffers do this. They scoff because they're scoffers. God is going to act according to his nature. God is sovereign. But then in verse 8, God is timeless. But do not overlook this one fact. Isn't that that interesting? I mean, he's already said, you know, back up there in verse 5, they, the scoffers, deliberately overlook this fact. And then he comes and look, watch this, come in here real close. He says, Christians, children of God, be sure you don't overlook some things. He's suggesting that this is possible. He's suggesting that it was happening. And we know that it does happen. Sometimes believers in Jesus Christ They get frustrated, they get discouraged in the midst of suffering or maybe at the scoffing of the world. We stutter step a little bit and we end up overlooking some things that we know. We end up overlooking some stuff that that we, we, we know that is part of our faith. And so Peter's saying, don't overlook this. Don't overlook this. Don't overlook what? He says, don't overlook this. There it is again, beloved Don't overlook that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter appeals here to Psalm 90 verse 4. This basically is a restatement or a summary. You can look at that verse at some point. But just know that what Peter is doing is he's going back and he's saying, look, you don't, don't overlook what you know. Don't overlook what the Hebrews have known for centuries and, and has been passed on to you in the gospel. Don't overlook the fact that, that God doesn't relate to time the same way we do. This is what he's saying. So what does that mean? Well, we relate to time with past and present and future. And, you know, we remember things in the past and we look back on them and we study history. We, we live in the present and so we, we, we know what is going on here. We look forward to the future and we plan for the future. And so we have, we have, have time. But, but Peter comes and he reminds us of something we know. And that is because God is omniscient, he knows everything. And because God is omnipresent, he is everywhere present at the same time. I mean, that's enough to boggle your mind right there. He says, we know this about God because this is true about the nature of God. He doesn't relate to time the same way we do. He doesn't, he doesn't relate to time in in the sense of past and present and, and, and future. And and I I hope that's wrecking your thinking a little bit because it ought to. You say, Shaddix, you you really understand that. No, I don't understand. That's why he's God and I'm not. And that's the whole deal here. Peter is saying, don't overlook this. Don't forget that fact that he's God and you're not. And, And here's what scripture teaches us about God. He's omnipresent. He is omniscient. And he doesn't relate to time the same way we do. And consequently, Peter says, again, citing Psalm 90, verse 4, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Do the math here, beloved. We look back and we say it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said this. Well, according to these calculations, it's only been a couple of days. If... For the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Peter says, don't don't forget what you know about God. When you get frustrated, when you get discouraged, when you second guess this whole thing, remember that God is sovereign and remember that God is timeless. So this whole thing of, well, it's been 2,000 years, you know, since Jesus was here. Surely if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. Peter says, eh, not so much. God's timeless. Doesn't relate to time the same way we do. God is time, uh, sovereign. He is timeless. Look at this one in verse 9. God is merciful. Peter knew that a lot of his critics and critics of the gospel were saying God's impotent. If he, if he was going to do this, 
He would have already done it. If he could do it, he would have already done it. But maybe they're saying maybe the same things that those prophets of Baal said to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Maybe, maybe God's taking a nap. Maybe he's on vacation. And be careful, be careful of thinking this is foreign. Isn't, isn't this what happens to us sometimes in the midst of sorrow and struggle? We begin to think, where is God? Where is God? I think this, this, this woman that I, I, I talked to in that restaurant yesterday, this is what she was saying. Where is God in all of this? She, she's dragging his feet. And so Peter says in verse 9, the Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise. He's speaking specifically of the promise of the second coming. He's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Some obviously refers to the scoffers, but certainly applies to any of us that might look and say, why hasn't he come? 2,000 years it's been. Why hasn't he come yet? He says, God's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. You know what the scoffers were saying? God is slow because he can't do this and he won't do this. God's not slow as some men count slowness, but here it is, look. But instead, he's patient toward you. Why is he patient toward you? Because he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Language of the New Testament, the word translated perish in my English Bible is a word that's used in Scripture for eternal damnation. This is what he's talking about. And hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hear what it says. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any, any should experience eternal damnation, but that all should come to repentance. Never look and say, God, where, where are you? Why haven't you come back? Why are you letting this all happen? Peter says, God's not slow as we count slowness. Meaning that we think, man, he's, he's missed the date. He's not paying attention. He's, maybe, it's, maybe it's gotten out of hand and God can't handle it. Peter says, no, God's not slow as some men count slowness. Instead, he's being patient. He's being patient with you and with me. He's being patient, he says. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Peter is, is appealing to, to what God said about himself in, 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 in Exodus chapter 34 when he said, the Lord, the Lord a God is a God of mercy and he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Peter is appealing to that, saying this is the character and nature of God. Moses appealed to it in Numbers chapter 14 when he was praying for the children of Israel, praying that God wouldn't destroy them. He, he said, well, God, don't you remember what you said about yourself over there in Exodus chapter 34? You're a, a God that is patient and loving and slow to anger and, and forgiving. This is what Jonah appealed to in Jonah chapter 4. When, when you remember, Jonah had, had run from God and got on that boat, ended up getting swallowed by a fish. And when God was debriefing him all, on all of this, Jonah came back and said, let me tell you why I left. Because I knew Exodus 34. I knew that you were patient and kind and, 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 and you, were, you were gracious and therefore you wouldn't judge the Ninevites. And I didn't want any part of that. Everybody knows the Hebrews knew this. These Christians knew this, that God is merciful. He's patient. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? We never hear this from the skeptics today. What we hear is, well, if God was a loving God, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. If God was a loving God, he, he wouldn't allow all of this suffering to go on. If God was a loving God, there, there wouldn't be any, any, any damnation. 
Those are the things that we hear. We hear that stuff, but we never hear anybody talk about verse 9. We never hear anybody say the reason that God is letting this go on, the reason he hasn't come back yet, the reason he is delaying is because he loves you and he is merciful towards you and he wants you to come to repentance. This is what God says. And this is what he's doing. I know that I'm talking to a room filled with Christians this morning. Most of you know this about the Lord. But if you're here today without Christ, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear the word of God say, at least in part, the reason for the delay. The reason for allowing things to go on like they do sometimes evil things reason that suffering keeps happening is not because God is impotent and not because he doesn't exist and not because he's not good but it's because he is patient and he is merciful and he doesn't want anybody to spend eternity separated from him in hell and so he's waiting he's waiting for you if you're here today without Christ hear the word of the Lord if you're watching on the internet hear the word of the Lord today he's, he's waiting for you he's merciful toward you and I appeal to you today based upon the truth of scripture Repent of your sin. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about the person of Jesus Christ. Embrace the testimony of the Bible that says he came and he lived a life we can't live, a perfect life that met God's standard. And then he died a death we should have died, taking your sin and mine to the cross. And in our stead, he incurred the wrath of God for that sin in our place. And then he rose from the dead in order to put the life of God back inside of us. And the Bible says, if you'll change your mind about your sin and you'll change your mind about Jesus and you will trust him and him alone to do for you what you can't do for yourself, he'll do it. I encourage you today to respond to the mercy and the patience of a God who doesn't want any to perish but wants all of us to come to repentance. God is merciful. And Peter puts that on the table as another justification for believing that Jesus is coming back, believing that this is why he hasn't come back yet, at least in part, he's merciful. And then finally, Peter says, God is just. He's fair. He's going to ultimately do what is right in this thing regarding sin. So he says, and you got you to see this. You got to see this on the heels of verse 9 of him saying, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10, but, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It's easy, isn't it easy to begin to think about the mercy and the grace of God and to begin to say, well, if that's what God's doing, then I got time, right? If that's what God's doing and that's the character of God, then, man, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to do what I want to do and because he's gracious and he's merciful and he's patient and he, he wants me to come to repentance. And you know what? I might do that one day, but if this is the way God does, then I'm going to take advantage of it. Peter says, well, know this, the day of the Lord will come. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter two said, do you presume, do you presume upon the kindness and the forbearance and the patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are, 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 you, are you 
taking advantage of that? Are you laughing at that? Are you, are you scoffing at it by saying, well, if God is patient, then I, I'm just going to wait. Paul said, are you presuming upon the grace of God? Peter's saying the same thing here. He comes and says, understand this, the day of the Lord will come. I didn't read all of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 to you. Listen. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Moses' prayer in Numbers chapter 14, he's appealing to Exodus 34, 6, and he says, this is what you said, God, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. You understand that God will never be able to be completely in the right if he lets anybody get a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to sin. He will never be righteous. He will never be just if he gives anybody a pass on sin. And this is what confuses people. Try to reconcile his patience and his mercy and his grace. And he's waiting, he's delaying. But, Peter says, the day has to come when sin is judged. And that's where he brings us in verse 10 here. The day of the Lord will come. It is definite. It will come like a thief. In other words, it will be unexpected got to remember this when we presume upon the grace of God and say, well, I'll wait. It will be like a thief. Peter didn't invent this analogy. Jesus had said it in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 12 that he would come as a thief. He said it again as recorded in Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 16. The apostle Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said to the Christian, Christians, you know that when Jesus comes, he's going to come as a thief in the night. And people are going to be saying peace and safety. Everything's okay. You, you, you know, the, the analogy is very simple. No thief ever texts you in the afternoon and says, hey, about 2 in the morning coming to your place to get your stuff. Oh, no. The success of a thief is surprise. A lack of expectation and readiness. And Peter says, this is the way it's going to be. Listen, listen to me. Not because Jesus is trying to chick trick anybody. Some of you may be sitting there and saying, well, God, that's, our days going to come and trick us. Catch us by surprise. He's telling you it's going to happen. This is what's so important about this. Jesus isn't tricking anybody. What he is saying is this is a day of mercy and grace and the opportunity is here. Take it because when he comes, people who have put it off and people who have rejected it and people who have delayed are not going to be ready for it. It's definite, it's unexpected and it's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be devastating. No, it's going to be destructive. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. He's already said this in verse 7. The earth and heavens that now exist are stored up for fire, he says. He'll say it again in verse 12. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He said, what's all that going to look like? I don't know. What I know is the descriptions in the word of God are something otherworldly, supernatural, cataclysmic. And this earth and these heavens are going to be destroyed as part of the judgment of God against sin. Because this world, even the physical world, has been affected by sin. It's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to definitely happen and then Peter brings us to where ultimately to where he wants us to be he says and the earth and the works that are done on it 
You understand the implication? He's talking about the works that people do, their actions. And the works that are done on it will be exposed, he says. They'll be exposed. They'll be laid open. Nothing will be hidden, Scripture tells us. So the coming of the Lord, it, it, it is going to definitely happen, and it's going to be surprising. People aren't going to be ready for it. And it's going to be cataclysmic, and Peter says it's going to be revealing. And this is where the justice of God comes. The justice of God comes, listen to me, in those who have trusted Christ are going to be taken to be with him forever in paradise. This is our hope, beloved. But at the same time, he's going to bring judgment on those who have rejected him. And that's what this passage is describing. This passage isn't describing the hope that we have as Christians uh, about what, what, Jesus coming back to get us and taking us to be. That's going to happen. Scripture talks about this. But this passage specifically is saying God is just. And even though we look around and we say sometimes, where is justice? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do evil people get away with stuff like, like, like we see it happening in, 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 in this life today? And then Peter says the day's coming where the justice of God will be fulfilled. It will be manifested. It will be complete. And the only way that can happen is for him to judge those who have rejected his salvation. God is just. Let me show you two passages and we're done just to bring this together. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about his coming in Matthew chapter 24. Obviously, we won't read all of this, but let me show you some things. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, look at this, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This was not a new idea. The fact that Jesus coming would be cataclysmic, would be catastrophic. Jesus had said it. In verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Look at verse 42, therefore, Jesus says, stay awake, for you don't know what day the, your Lord is coming. <laughs> remember that, beloved, remember that. The next time somebody makes a prediction and puts a date on a calendar, remember that they're staring in the face of Scripture and they're saying, I know more than you do, God. Look at what Jesus said. You don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what, what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. John understood it. Let me show you the book of Revelation, chapter 16. Go all the way to the end of your Bible. Come back a couple of chapters. John saw the culmination of the judgment of God. He describes it as seven bowls of God's wrath. Revelation chapter 16, the first bowl is in verse 2. First angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worship its image. Bowl number two in verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. Bowl number three in verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Verse eight, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power of these plagues. They didn't repent and give him glory. Beloved, listen to me. Don't ever think, oh, I'm a, I'm a, God's being patient and the day will come that, that, that I will repent. Would you listen to the word of God today if you don't know Christ? Even when God's judgment comes, people are not going to say, oh, no, I missed it. Lord, give me a second chance. I repent. You were right and I was wrong. They will curse God. 
the word of God says. Don't put this off. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne. The beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up. Cataclysmic, catastrophic. Look at verse 15. Parenthetical statement. Jesus is talking. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays away, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen and exposed. What's he talking about? You're either clothed in the righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ, because you've trusted him, or you are naked and bare and your works are all you have. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Don't wait for that to happen. Revelation chapter 20 is the culmination of all of this. It's known as the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Catastrophic, cataclysmic. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books, notice plural, were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Same thing Peter says. It comes to bring judgment on the earth and those based upon the works that they had done. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. In other words, nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets a pass from everywhere. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you understand what's happening? You've got several books and those books in it are listed the names of the people who have rejected Christ and the works that they have done. And then there's another book, interestingly, only one, indicating fewer people. And in that book is written the names of the people who've realized that they couldn't do it on their own and their works weren't good enough. And so they trusted Christ and he put his life back inside of them and God wrote their names down in the book of life. And what's being described here is a judgment. A judgment in which the distinguishing factor between these books and this one book is whether or not you are gonna depend upon your works to measure up to God's standard. And you are going to account for all of, all of the sin that you have. You're responsible for that. It's the difference between that and having your name written in the book of life because you realized at some point that you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't measure up. And that Jesus did it for you. And so you trusted him. You repented of your sins and you trusted him to save you and to put the life of God back inside of you. And so the question you have to ask yourself this morning, am I, am I going to stand before God and depend upon my works to be good enough? Or am I going to trust Jesus and what he's done for me so that my name's written in the book of life and I don't stand before God on my own merit, but the merit of Jesus Christ. And when God opens that book, he opens these books and he looks down and he finds a name and there is written all the things this person is counting on to get them into heaven and all the things this person has done. They were disobedient to God and that's what they're gonna be judged on. But over here, he's gonna open this book and there's gonna be the name of a person and beside it is gonna say Jesus and beside it, the name of the next person is gonna say Jesus. And on down, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is the book of life of people who have the life of God because they've depended on Christ and not on themselves. If you're here today without Christ, hear the word of the Lord today, hear the gospel. Know that he has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
And I pray right now, it's your seat there in your home or as you're driving, even if you're listening to this, in your heart of hearts, repent of your sin and trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. I invite you to do that. If you're here this morning in this place, in this room, I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing. And when we do, there'll be pastors here at the front. And these guys are here for you. And I want to invite you, if you're trusting Christ for the very first time, I want you to come and to, to one of these pastors and let them know. Walking this aisle, coming to a pastor doesn't save you. It's what happens in your heart. But these brothers want to pray for you and they want to encourage you. So I invite you to come and just tell them, I, I, I want that. I'm doing that. I'm trusting Jesus. I want to become a Christian however you want to say it. Or maybe you've got questions. You come and ask your questions of these brothers. But beloved, listen to me. I plead with you. I appeal to you. Don't, don't live your life to depend upon you standing before God based upon your own works because it won't work. It won't work. Trust Jesus today. Christians, be strengthened in your faith. The winds and the criticism will blow. It will come. It will go. Sometimes the doubts will settle in. Don't forget your Bible. Know that scoffers will come. And remember the nature of God. Remember that he will act based upon his nature. Let's pray together. God, thank you for helping us with this. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark about your coming. We worship you, Lord, today as a gracious and kind and patient God. And that's how you're manifesting yourself right now. We rejoice in it. We pray you would impress that upon some who don't know Christ today. We pray you would illuminate minds and stir hearts and change wills. We pray you would save some men and women, boys and girls, even during this hour, Lord. We pray you would strengthen the faith of your children. God, strengthen my faith. God, help us to be established in the confidence that you are going to do what you said and Jesus is coming back. We rejoice in that, Lord. We look for it. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.